It's time to get serious about California's failing infrastructure. More than 1,600 bridges are structurally deficient. Proposition 6 will make things even worse. Prop 6 eliminates more than $5 billion annually in dedicated transportation funding. And 6 kills local traffic relief projects already underway. That's why the California Professional Firefighters and California Association of Highway Patrolmen all say no on 6. Paid for by no on Prop 6. Stop the attack on bridge and road safety. Sponsored by business, labor, local governments, and transportation advocates. Committee major funding from California Alliance for Jobs. Hey, sports fans, football season's here, and it's time to get in on the action with MyBookie. MyBookie is the industry-leading sports betting website that offers real Vegas odds on football, baseball, and all your favorite sporting events. You can take a side, the total, or even fantasy points props. MyBookie lets you bet online and win big. Did the game already kick off? Don't sweat it. MyBookie has in-game live betting on every major league and event even esports. There's no better time to join MyBookie than today. Go to MyBookie to open an account and start winning. Use promo code CHAMPION when you register for your account and get a 100% sign-up bonus up to $1,000 on your first deposit. Bet today. Visit MyBookie's website or call 844-866-2387. That's 844-866-2387. Check them out today and use promo code CHAMPION for a 100% bonus. Terms and conditions apply for entertainment purposes only. Void where prohibited. Hello there, listeners. Welcome into the Bird Gang Blitz. Uh, we've got my co-host, John, here as always. Uh, I'm Blake, and tonight we've got a uh, special guest joining us here um, from Revenge of the Birds. It's um, Seth Cox. Seth, how are you doing tonight? Thanks for joining us in the podcast just a few weeks out before the draft. Oh, I'm good. I'm good. I'm excited to be with you guys. Excited to talk about the draft and... Uh... Talk a little bit about the Cardinals. Oh, definitely. I know I've, I've had plenty of interaction with you. I think this is probably John's first time um, maybe speaking to you, at least here. Um, tell us, and the people who are listeners maybe aren't as familiar with Revenge of the Birds. I'm not quite sure why you wouldn't be, but maybe tell them just a little bit about yourself and how you got started. Uh, I've been kind of doing the blog thing for about eight years now, and I started off on my own, and then um, I worked with Arizona sports for a couple of years um, covering the draft in 2013 and 2014 with them. And then once that was over, I, uh, I, I joined up with Jess Root at Revenge of the Birds and then kind of stuck with draft stuff most of the year doing some Cardinal stuff. And then um, Jess decided to uh, venture out and, uh, and open up cardswire.com and, and uh, you know, recommended me to to Joel, uh, the the SB Nation manager, uh, and and they were kind enough to you know give me an interview and and ended up uh, hiring me to be the the manager where I'm at now for just just about two years and it's been a lot of fun and I, I wish it had coincided with uh, better Cardinals play, but but it is what it is at this point. <laughs> for sure, yeah. Sometimes people are more willing to uh, to read and check out when things are going wrong than when things are going well. I know that's when I got uh, sucked into the draft was when they had the Derek Anderson and Kevin Cobb gears is when I kind of got sucked into it. And I think you and Jess sucked me into with all of that. Uh, so let's go ahead and kind of do a big picture look, at least while we're bringing you on, Seth, just to kind of, you know, get some of the more thoughts, uh, kind of a fresh take. Most Cardinal fans right now are looking at this team – just it seems like it was forever ago that they were in the NFC championship game. And now they're being ranked among having the worst quarterback, uh, of course, quarterback position in the NFC, if not one of the worst in all of the NFL. 
how did Arizona get here? Like, why are we in this spot all of a sudden with that, with all of that success? Why are we here now? It always comes back to a simple misunderstanding or miscalculation of your, your team's own talent. And we've seen it a number of times um, in the NFL and whether it's, um, you know, the Denver Broncos post Super Bowl, whether it was the Seattle Seahawks, um, you know, as, as they started to lean more on Russell Wilson, sometimes what happens with a team is that, that you're, you're in a you're in a window and and you just assume that window is going to stay open but unless you're the New England Patriots the, the window always closes um and, and so that's where there's on a Cardinals were unfortunately is that their window closed in 2015 for that iteration of the team and they continued forward uh they had the 7-8 and 1 season with a mostly, you know, intact offense and, and, and defense. And then they had the eight and eight season, which is really miraculous. If you look back at, at all the injuries and, and the issues they had. And with both of those things, you know, in 2016, they drafted Robert Kandice. They, they traded for Chandler Jones. That's worked out really well. Then they drafted Brandon Williams, you know, and when you look at that, they go, they drafted Kandice to replace, the soon-to-be-departing Calais Campbell. They drafted Brandon Williams because they were in desperate need of a cornerback. And and neither of those have really worked out. They let Campbell walk. Uh, then they drafted Hassan Reddick and kind of yanked him around as a rookie because of, uh, again, kind of poor planning in terms of depth. And now, you know, they're, they're kind of there where B.A. left because of personal and health reasons. Um Carson Palmer retired basically for the same reason. And and now they've had to basically rebuild the offense uh, that was the focal point of the team while trying to keep a defense intact that is, um, you know, on, on paper still a very talented group, but are going to be learning a new scheme and, and under a new coach. And so, you know, everything's kind of in flux at this point, and And that happens when you – when you try to extend a window that that's already closed. And, and that's just a, it's an unfortunate miscalculation. It happens all over the NFL all the time. I mean, we've seen it a number of times with a number of great teams and a number of, of good teams that went to bad. And, and it's just, you know, you look at the Seahawks, you can say the same thing. They're going through a transition now. They've, they've gutted their, their core players and they're, they're obviously they have Russell Wilson, which is the 100% difference in between the Cardinals and, and the Seahawks, but they're going through the same um, thing at this point. Definitely for that. Uh, John, do you have anything to touch on for some of that? And also um, we do this kind of pretty free here, at least on the podcast. So if you've got any questions for Seth, feel free to just go ahead and ask any of those two. Just kind of curious for some of your thoughts on how the Cardinals kind of got to the state where fans are just viewing this team as kind of in a rebuilding stage and not really sure where to go. Yeah, I think it's a combination of everything Seth said and on top of not having a contingency plan at quarterback. I think you can try to rebuild on the fly if you've got the quarterback intact and under a manageable contract. Now, the Seahawks just paid Russell Wilson uh, a decent amount of money, and so they're having to retool a lot of their 
expensive defenders. If the Cardinals were wise over the last two or three years and invested in a rookie quarterback, you'd still have that individual on a, you know, a fairly cap-friendly deal in which you'd be able to go out and, and try to compete, assuming that individual would have gotten playing time a year ago with Palmer's injuries. You're entering year two, whomever's starting. Even if you would have taken, let's say, a Patrick Mahomes or a Deshaun Watson from last year, they have an entire year in your system. Granted, it would be under B.A. and not under Steve Wilkes, but again, a year as a professional player uh, and knowing what those expectations are. And then I think this team also relied just too much on aging veteran players. Uh, they signed uh, a plethora of guys that they thought could get them over the hump uh, in free agency, like guys like Evan Mathis, who broke down basically instantly. Ayupati uh, has not aged well. Jared Valdir has not aged well. You know, A.Q. Shipley um, is, I think, about 30 years old. Um, you know, their best wide receiver is Larry Fitzgerald. He's on, you know, the wrong side of 30. They leaned on Adrian Peterson. He's over 30 years old. Carson Palmer was 37. So it was an old team last year, especially on the offensive side. The defensive side, again, like Seth said, a lot of nice young building blocks. But, again, how long are you able to keep that group intact when you know that you're going through a complete transition offensively? And the fact that there was no contingency plan in place at the quarterback position left this team in a position where they were going to go into a free fall, very similar to what happened after Kurt Warner retired and Ken Wisenhunt was left to find band-aids at the quarterback position. And it's ironic to say that because B.A. came out and said, I don't want to leave this franchise in the same position as when Kurt retired. And you could argue the Cardinals are worse off now than at that point. At least at that point they had some younger offensive players Um, still in the fold. Defensively, they were probably in worse shape. But again, just based on where the Cardinals are drafting this year, 15th overall, uh, it's kind of like last year was an anomaly. I mean, like Seth said, I think that's a testament to how well of a coach B.A. is. They went 5-3 and with Blaine Gabbert and Drew Stanton. They had a point differential of, I think it was almost minus 70, minus 75, clearly the worst in the division. Right now, they're the fourth-worst team on paper in the NFC West, still a long way to go in the off season. But again, if you were bringing along a rookie or a second year quarterback at this point, even if you were going to take a step backwards, you still feel a lot better about this group as a whole. And that window, maybe it's closed with that group from 2015, but you have a chance to open up a new one instantly. Now there's just major, major question marks on this roster and worst of all, you're in a position now where you may not be able to get your quarterback of the future a- until next year at the earliest, which is just a sad state of affairs for Cardinal fans who have been waiting since 2007 to have a first, second, or even third round, you know, signal caller. Yeah, I think part of it, like when you're talking there, John, is just looking at the times change, and you can even just use just an easy example of how Kodak didn't recognize that. The industry quickly passed them by with digital cameras and digital camera makers suddenly had that pass them by with the advent of the smartphones. And all of a sudden now it's just a complete relic. I think the NFL has been very similar. Things change rapidly. You've seen kind of the rise of spread offenses and kind of the fall and ultimately mobile quarterbacks have kind of taken over. And I think when you're looking at these aging statuesque quarterbacks that are still performing, then see a team go out with the Philadelphia Eagles with um, a young guy and (laughs) Carson Wentz, who goes down, kind of completed with Nick Foles just due to the um, just amount of influx of not just talent, I should say, at the position, but influx of just new ideas that a lot of times you have to keep up with all of them. The Cardinals, I think, were 
very much old school, new school, maybe a way or two, but for the most part, I think that's kind of where the Cardinals are, have come, come to the spot where you bank on something being consistent one year, it's not the next year, and you, you have to move on. That's what the Cardinals are doing now. Uh, Seth, let's talk a little bit about just the past drafts we've had kind of Arians-type wide receivers, uh, Arians-type uh, quarterback, uh, even like an Arians tight end where they block first. What's going to be the big difference that you foresee with um, the addition of Steve Wilkes as a defensive-minded head coach and bringing along a guy like Mike McCoy as uh, his offensive coordinator? I, I know we've talked a little bit about how you might see the tight ends more in the passing game. The wide receivers are probably going to be a little bit taller. What are some of these differences that you'll be able to see from what we're used to with um, with Arians, Betcher, and Bowles? I think the first thing you're seeing is – how they're revamping the offensive line. I mean, they've gone out and, again, put kind of a premium on offensive line, uh, but more so they've put a premium on guys that can run block. Uh, When you look at it from that perspective, you can see a guy like Mike McGlinchey being, you know, a player that would kind of tickle the fancy of, of, Wilkes and McCoy and, and offensive line coach Ray Brown because, you know, he's a guy that fits into that kind of run-first category that's a, a downhill-type blocker in a power scheme. When you look at the defense, something that – and it's hard to judge, but something that we've seen from McCoy's – or, sorry, Wilkes' defense before is that he prefers, you know, bigger corners that are a, a little more physical. And so – you know, we saw it today, uh, or it's Wednesday when we're recording this, uh, April 4th, and we saw that uh, Mel Kuyper Jr. and Todd McShay both mocked uh, Jair Alexander to the Cardinals from the Louisville Cardinals at 15. And from a physicality standpoint, that makes sense, but from a from a size profile, from kind of what the, the prototype that Wilkes has used in, in Carolina, it's a little different. But then the other thing is, and, again, Wilkes was the D.C. And, and defensive back coach, so who knows how much say he had in things. But they never really put a priority on corners early. James Bradbury uh, the two, in the, from the 2016 draft was the highest selected defensive back um, on the Panthers roster, and the de- defensive backs always played well. Um, you know, they put a premium on – front seven guys, so I talked a little bit about it. You, you could, you know, you could make an argument that Roquan Smith, another first-round off-ball linebacker, could be in play. You could see a guy like Harold Landry falling to 15 and being the pick because he fits into a 43 defense, um, and he would give the Cardinals another edge rusher and kind of allow them to hedge on a Marcus Golden. So, when you look at all of that, we don't know much yet. We don't have any prototypes like we had with, with Arians in terms of quarterback um, philosophy or, or wide receiver philosophy. But we do know that McCoy, McCoy's offense asks his tight ends to be dual threats, basically guys that can block and catch. Uh, we do know that his wide receivers, are he, he likes a different type of wide receiver in that he likes guys that can run – both underneath, intermediate, and deep routes. Uh, so he's not looking for, you know, a guy to take the top off the defense because he's got a J.J. Nelson, and they just signed a Bryce Butler. So those are two, you know, sub-four guys. So all of a sudden 
a guy like Horton Sutton, who's a mid four five guy, could be in play at fifteen. So you know, it's it's going to be diverse. It's going to be different, and it's something that we haven't seen yet. So we'll start to collect the data this year and see how it goes. Yeah, definitely. I think that's going to be interesting also as far as seeing that switch from a 3-4 defense to more 4-3 looks. Even though the Cardinals ran some of those looks last year, it wasn't specifically with Chandler Jones having his hand in the dirt. It's going to be interesting to see, at least I know that some have wondered if Jones is going to see his production decrease somewhat, just potentially from going back to where his production was in the New England years or uh, if the athletic profile and his weight fits a 3-4 outside spot better. That's something we'll have to find out, but I at least have confidence enough in um, just the fact that where the Cardinals have committed to Jones, that they'll at least not, you know, put him in an impossible-to-succeed situation. Um, <laughs> but then again, it is the NFL. Uh, let's go ahead and talk a little bit, just moving on to some of the draft talk about some of the holes that we still have to be filled. And I think there are a couple of big ones. The biggest one that I think that we have is um, – Outside of Larry Fitzgerald, their top options at wide receiver are J.J. Nelson, Bryce Butler, and the second-year player, um, uh, I believe at least is uh, – oh, all of a sudden the name is at least escaping me, which is <laughs> interesting. But, um, Chad Williams. Yeah, so, yeah, Chad Williams. I was thinking for a second, Tremont Williams. And I was like, that's, that's, that's not right. No, Chad Williams, and that's it. Outside of that, you've got an aging 34-year-old slot receiver. And Arian's offense is almost played like a tight end, and – your number two option on the team as far as for receiver is David Johnson coming off of uh, an injury, which kept him out of basically the whole season last year, outside of, you know, just about seven yards or so of rushing the football. Uh, we also have a no cornerback solution outside of uh, opposite Patrick Peterson. Uh, again, with Brandon Williams, as mentioned earlier, is probably the, the top guy entering camp, unless you're going to let a Ben Wickery be the guy who's going to deliver that, uh, John, what are some of the other holes that you at least see on this team that are either obvious or glaring that going into the draft that the Cardinals may try to meet with some other picks in the first few rounds? Right, let's look with non-quarterback because I think that's the clearly <laughs> biggest one when you're talking about, you know, Bradford and Glennon. Yeah, that's my go-to. You know that, Blake, every time we've had this conversation over the course of the last seven months, so I'll spare everybody that. But I think offensively looking for cornerstone players to build around defensively, even though there is the lack of depth, especially in the secondary now with Tyron Matthew exiting and the question marks at corner, I think there's still, you know, the potential for a good to great linebacking core. Uh, and then the defensive line could use one or two more great players. I think they've got a bunch of solid guys offensively outside of David Johnson, uh, who were all assuming bounces back from missing a, a, a whole year of football you have no cornerstone offensive players. You've got a, a left tackle who was drafted and has not played consistent enough, who has been hampered by injuries. And then the rest of the offensive line, really outside of you're hoping Justin Pugh can deliver, you know, good play. You're paying him to be a great player. I think he's a good player. I think he was forced to play out of position a lot in New York. And so hopefully settling in at, at left or right guard will, you know, help him extend his career and be a quality player for the Cardinals. But you have not been able to draft and develop any kind of consistency along the offensive line. I think any of the interior offensive line prospects that you deem worthy for pick 15 or in the second round uh, would be worth looking at. Uh, you know, I, I would hope that at some point they're going to address right tackle. I think, 
you know, Andre Smith is a, is a complete band-aid, a liability uh, after a one-year deal. Uh, and then at tight end, we've touched on this many times. You're counting on an undrafted Ricky Seals-Jones in year two to take that next step. That's great. But you're also paying Jermaine Johnson, you know, a, a gross amount of money to not play in 2018 by all accounts. You let Troy Nicholas walk. He's a New England Patriot. So that's a position that, that you need at least some bodies at. And I think they'll fill that either in the later rounds or in the uh, latter part of free agency over the summer. I, I think this team has too many holes um, to spend a high high pick on a tight end. And I think Kimes has been burned before, especially with that Nicholas pick. So I'd look in the interior offensive line. I'd look at right tackle. Again, like, like you mentioned, um, you know, receiver is always a position I think that could be overhauled. That, that position group in a year from now could look completely different with, with uh, Fitzgerald and Nelson potentially on their way out. John Brown and Jerome Brown have already departed. So, uh, and then I think on the defensive line, um, you know, Wilkes has already said you win in this league up front on the line of scrimmage, and the Cardinals do not have the impact defensive linemen that you see the majority of these 4-3 teams, you know, having that dominate the line of scrimmage. They don't have a Gerald McCoy. Um, you know, they don't have an Indominus Sue or an Aaron Donald. They don't have, you know, a Michael Bennett. They don't have that interior defensive tackle, um, that three technique that can dominate games. And so when you let Calais Campbell walk and you hedged your bet uh, with Robert Kendici and it burned you, uh, you're left with a bunch of question marks. I do like Olsen Pierre. He had a nice season rushing from the interior last year, five and a half sacks. I don't know how that will translate with the scheme change. Uh, Robert Kendici is said to have a fresh start under Wilkes. I think that's smart. I think that, you know, this is basically his last opportunity to show that he can play at this level. Uh, but I think that that's going to be a market for the Cardinals. Assuming Vita Villa is not there at 15 and they have other options, that, that's a position group I think that you could see addressed uh, on day two rather early. Yeah, and that's um, an interesting point you bring up with um, kind of the name of the game in the past with the Cardinals was having versatile defensive linemen. seems very much more that Steve Wilkes is going to be having set roles for his players, being able to have kind of that typical 4-3-D defensive end with the hand in the dirt, having those three techniques who are going to be splitting the uh, splitting through the guards rather than having to kind of either open up holes for the A-gaps, like how it was played under Bowles, or just being able to um, have either more stunts or being able to have one-on-one matchups we kind of saw with Fetcher. Uh, it's interesting when you're talking about some of the defensive linemen because uh, that kind of brings up an interesting thought with Maurice Hurst as far as we've seen kind of before players who are projected to go in the first round. There's a health issue. We saw that with Star Latulale a few years back. He may be the best three-pack in the draft, and he's a guy who I wouldn't think the Cardinals would have drafted under Arians, but it's a possibility at least for um, – now that you're looking at what the positional need is, especially if Kandichi doesn't pan out, you're going to be looking at a guy like Corey Peters. Um, you already had let Xavier Williams walk. He went to a different team. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see what the team does on the defensive side because you still have pieces there. But uh, And perhaps this is kind of the year where Patrick Peterson kind of ends up starting to get a lot more balls thrown his way just due to the scheme. But it'll be interesting to um, just to see how that defensive transition is and whether the – Cardinals decide to get, gear up with the defense, kind of go all in on having a strong defensive unit, and that's where their identity is, or if they'll try to round things out. Um, 
personally, I, I think that we could be in for an offensive draft. Um, so we, I think the biggest key positions you're looking at outside of just having a long-term solution at quarterback would be definitely as you're talking about the offensive line, wide receiver, the tight end, and I think even the running back position because you're going to be wanting to run the football as Wilkes and McCoy has said, and David Johnson goes down. You're looking at a guy like Elijah Penny, TJ Logan coming off of injury and a few other journeyman running backs. So I think that there's a whole lot of need as far as on the offensive side to field this comp- a competitive team next year. And I don't think that Steve Kimes is going to, he's never been the type who seems to say, well, you know, we're going to lie low and the Cardinals aren't, the players themselves aren't talking Super Bowl. But I, I think that we need to take a look and start to focus kind of on offense first because it seems that that's how Steve Kime is set up. So let's take a look. We talked about some of these offensive linemen, like we talked about a Mike McGlinchey with being a right tackle. We saw the Cardinals kind of take their best player on the board they had in DJ Humphreys a few years back. I think that's possible. And then there's two other kind of up there first round offensive linemen, Will Hernandez and Isaiah Wynn. Uh, Seth, you've talked a lot about Will Hernandez being a possibility, but the Cardinals maybe being a little bit too high, too high up in the draft for him. What are your thoughts at least about where if McGlinchey's gone about the other two offensive linemen there, or uh, if McGlinchey is there, is he the guy you would take ahead of those interior linemen? Well, <clears throat> I mean, NFL is still behind in the fact that they value tackle over guard, uh, even though, I mean, the Arizona Cardinals have to play uh, Aaron Donald and Indomitian Sioux twice a season now. That's, that's not scary at so, all. <laughs> so, you know, for me, I would have Hernandez over McGlinchey, but if you look at it from an NFL perspective, it would likely make sense that they would take McGlinchey over Hernandez. I don't think if you're getting a guy in Hernandez that projects to be a, you know, fringe type Pro Bowl type player at a need position that you're over, you're overdrafting him, but there still is positional value issues. And I've talked about this quite a bit. You have to remember that even though it starts on the offensive and defensive line, how much can you truly invest? The Cardinals have invested basically the equivalent now of five first down picks in their offensive line, and you know it, it's still a need. So, can you add a, a, a third true first round pick to the three additional first round pick type salaries and? You potty Valdir and now Justin Pugh that you're paying. That's a hard, you know, pill to swallow. But if you're truly going to build a team based upon the run, you might be, you know, you might have to bite that bullet. So whether it be McGlinchey or Hernandez or even a win who kind of projects in the Cordy Glenn role, um, you know, that's, those are all guys that would make sense at 15, even if they would be slightly um, not welcome by a lot of fans. When you look at the offensive side of the ball, you guys kind of hit it on the head. You're basically rebuilding 10 or, sorry, nine spots when you look at it overall. I mean, even even DJ Humphreys is basically a, a project at this point with his, you know, limited reps that he's had in his first three seasons. So when you look at it from that standpoint, I'm a anti-wide receiver in the first round type of guy, but if you're looking Same at here. a Portland, 
if you're looking at a Cortland Sutton, you can talk me into it. I talked about this a little bit last night with Jess Root on our podcast, and it's a really hard sell for me to draft Calvin Ridley or, um, you know, uh, any of these guys, Christian Kirk or any of these guys um, that are basically all the same wide receiver. You're, you're talking about a guy that's from that five ten to six foot, you know, 190 to 210 pound range. And there's, you know, six of those guys, when you look at it, you know, you have Ridley, uh, DJ Moore, Anthony Miller, Michael Gallup, Christian Kirk, uh, and, and there's one more that's escaping me right now. But, you know, when you look at it from that perspective, you have a bunch of the same guys that you could probably get at 47 or maybe even 79 as opposed to 15. So when you look at that first pick, I think it comes down to, you know, two things. Are you going to build this team in the mantra that you're speaking? In which case, you know, again, if you, if you flush the idea of quarterback out, it's either going to be an offensive lineman or a front seven player. You're going to control the line of scrimmage on both sides. And so when you look at, when you look at the available talent, you know, I think three of the guys in play are going to be McGlinchey, uh, obviously, Clinton Wilson, if for whatever reason he was he was the fall to 15, and then and then Will Hernandez, and then the other guys on the other side of the ball, I think you're going to see both Roquan Smith and Tremaine Edmonds in play um, at linebacker, and then I think a guy like Harold Landry will be uh, in play uh, as a you know tr- kind of a true 43 defensive end. Um, I don't know what they would think of Vita Vey because. He's similar to Danny Shelton or, you know, Dan Williams. And I don't know if that's what they need on this defense right now. Um, you brought up Maurice Hurst. He would make sense because he is a little bit more of a pocket pusher in the Quan short mold. But, again, how much value can you put into that position? You have Corey Peters who signed to, a, you know, a two-year extension you've got a, uh, an emerging Olsen Pierre, and then you've got, you know, an uh, ex-first-round pick in, in Robert Kandice. I'm not saying it should preclude you, but I just, you know, with with a team with filming holes on it, can you continue to draft the same positions over and over again? That's what it comes down to. Um, you know, but when I think it's all said and done, you're going to come down to either either side of, you know, the front seven or the, or the offensive line, and there's going to be talent that he's going to take. It's just going to be drafting what fits what Steve Wilkes wants to do. Yeah, definitely think that the Cardinals, from what they've talked about, it would seem very strange if they were to kind of go in the opposite direction of whether it's about being upfront physical, being disciplined, running the football a lot, and then suddenly they go out and draft a wide receiver. I, I think I'm in the same boat as you, is where the only time I think you should draft a wide receiver in the first round is if that wide receiver is going to be on that type of pro bowl, all, all pro type of a level. Like if you're looking at the – um, type of guy who comes out with um, not, I mean, Fitz is the obvious comparison, but you're talking about like the Julio Jones. Um, you're talking about more of getting that type of guy who's in the um, the mold of a top 10 wide receiver uh, who's, who's not named John Ross, apparently a Bengals cornerback, John Ross, for some reason, that's kind of the place where you need to get those receivers. The guys who go in the late first, usually where you pay a tax, if there's a quarterback tax that you have to pay, the wide receiver tax you have to pay is usually always with athleticism. 
you, I just think that when you're looking at these hyper-athletic guys, you can find the guys who still are 4-4, four, 4-5 four, four, guys who end up being solid and better producing who are in these later spots in the draft. And that's why I don't think that when people are talking about a, a Calvin Ridley at 15, I just can't see the Cardinals deciding to invest that in there. Uh, maybe if Larry Fitzgerald had decided to hang it up after this season, they feel like their need is desperate. But I think the Fitz at least buys you one season. I, I don't know if you can count on two at least or being able to have to avoid the position. But I think that what they're going to look at is for some of these later picks that they'll take a look at getting the uh, getting a wide receiver kind of behind him. And then maybe after Larry Fitzgerald retires, if there's a talent who's there in the years to come, perhaps that's when you look at it. Uh, we don't really have to talk about tight end as, as far as at 15. There's maybe a couple options as far as with um, Gesicki and Dallas Goder, um, who are some solid pass catchers who can also block at least. Um, but since we're kind of focusing on the top of the draft, I think you mentioning Roquan Smith is very interesting. Um, I, I have him as a top 10 lock and don't think that he'll leave the top 15. But should the quarterback run go pretty heavy and you start seeing some of those other positions and he happens to kind of fall to that position, It'd be really interesting just because um, I think there was a, a, the local media had a kind of a debate today as far as for, if you're looking at Steve Wilkes' new 4-3 system, who's going to play the Mike linebacker? Is it going to be Dale Buchanan or is it going to be Hassan Reddick? And the answer that I believe is that I don't think it's going to be either of them. I think that Josh Bynes is actually going to be the one who will start out as the Mike linebacker to begin the year. I think that Reddick's a natural fit as a will linebacker and then putting a strong side linebacker with Buchanan where he can play on the run support. I think that just seems to make a lot more sense. But then with Bynes, he's still a journeyman. and It's not really having that kind of guy who's, um, you know, steadfast and steady. So it'd be interesting from a talent perspective, but it'd also be kind of interesting where when you're talking again about, pushing all of those to pushing all of the same position, keep drafting it over and over, you know, and have to have three first round picks that you would have spent on the inside linebacker position. And, and that would that'd be off ball linebacker. That's not pass rushers. That's like off ball linebackers that I love all off ball linebackers more than most of draft Twitter and even a lot of big draft, but that's just crazy to me to be able to think about taking linebackers that high. Uh, I think we've well, talked a little bit about, yeah, go ahead. Seth. I was going to say, and I know, that they drafted Thomas Davis in like the nineties, but you know, that, that is the Panthers mold. You look at it, they have Thomas Davis, who was a first rounder, obviously Luke Keekley, and then they just drafted Shaq Thompson. So, you know, Wilkes background, like I said, is you look at, you look at his team in, in Carolina and again, Julius Peppers has been around since, you know, I, I'm pretty sure you played against Marino, but you look at, <laughs> You look at the Panthers' defensive front seven, and it was like first-round pick, first-round pick, second-round pick, second-round pick, and then three first-round picks. So, again, the value to them, and, and that doesn't mean that's what uh, Wilkes is going to believe in, but but he comes from that thought process of the value is in the front seven. The value is in the guys that are close to the ball that can make plays um, in, at the line of scrimmage. And so, you know – whether you're talking about 15 or even 47 with a guy like Leighton Vander Esch or uh, Rashawn Evans out of Alabama, you're still talking about another heavy investment at the linebacker position. And, and like you said, with, with the way they want to run this 4-3 defense, that would make sense. Hey, sports fans, football season's here, and it's time to get in on the action with my bookie. 
MyBookie is the industry-leading sports betting website that offers real Vegas odds on football, baseball, and all your favorite sporting events. You can take a side, the total, or even fantasy points props. MyBookie lets you bet online and win big. Did the game already kick off? Don't sweat it. MyBookie has in-game live betting on every major league and event even esports. There's no better time to join MyBookie than today. Go to MyBookie to open an account and start winning. Use promo code CHAMPION when you register for your account and get a 100% sign-up bonus up to $1,000 on your first deposit. Bet today. Visit MyBookie's website or call 844-866-2387. That's 844-866-2387. Check them out today and use promo code CHAMPION for a 100% bonus. Terms and conditions apply for entertainment purposes only. Void where prohibited. Yeah, it's just kind of crazy to think about, at least, um, that if they actually did make that type of a pick, it would certainly be loading up on the defense. You'd have a maybe one of the best linebacker units, and you'd potentially have, uh, you know, if you have Marcus Golden back and healthy, it would be one of those areas of that would be your identity. You would be a team that would focus on running the football, trying to avoid passing the football, and then, you basically be focusing on your defense to kind of make play big plays and make turnovers there. Uh, before we kind of get into moving on to some of the, the quarterbacks of just kind of this draft class, because that's kind of the, the hot button topic that's there. And e- even though some are kind of wondering if the Cardinals are going to go with the quarterback high, I, I think that the evidence seems to point that that's what they want to do. And that's because the quarterbacks that they signed at least are Sam Bradford and Mike Lennon. And uh, there was an interesting kind of debate the other day where, Someone said that, uh, I believe it was Ben Albright had talked about how he viewed Bradford Glennon as being one of the worst quarterback combinations in the National Football League. And there was a lot of backlash against it, which to me was kind of interesting. Was, I don't know if it was Cardinals play, Cardinals fans wanted to kind of defend Bradford, if he's still kind of considered to be a different level. But let's talk a little bit just about the impact of having just kind of a quarterback on what's basically a one-year deal and then having a veteran backup who – you know, he'll, he'll go out there and kind of complete 65% of his passes, throw a touchdown, throw a pick, but isn't going to win you a lot of games in Mike Glenn. It's kind of the, the anti-Drew Stanton. He'll do a little bit more as far as being accurate, but do a little bit less as far as for winning. What are kind of the things that the Cardinals are going to try to move to with these quarterbacks? Are they going to try to, you know, as we said, focus on the defense? Or is this kind of an area where the Cardinals should probably invest more heavily in the offensive line since they've got two guys who aren't as good in pass protection and Mike Upati, uh, and Andre Smith on the right tackle side. Um, I'll ask John, see what you want to think first, and then we can see uh, if you want to answer that question as well, Seth. Yeah, I, I think that they're in a position now with Bradford that it's going to be not only game by game when looking at his health and his degenerative knee. I think they're going to go through, um, you know, spring OCAs and and uh, off-season team activities and then going into training camp wondering whether or not his knee's going to hold up. Uh, there were reports last year he wasn't healthy until the playoffs. He played that opener last year against New Orleans, three touchdowns, almost 400 yards passing, and then was MIA the rest of the year. And he has gotten progressively worse as he's gotten older in terms of health, uh, played 15 games in 2016, actually put up a decent season all things considered when you look at how bad their offensive line Minnesota was, but he had Stephon Diggs. He had Adam Thielen. He had Kyle Rudolph. Uh, none of those players play for the Arizona Cardinals and he only put up 20 TDs and less than 4,000 yards passing. So he's the ultimate dink and dunker. He's somebody who set the completion record 
uh, a year ago was 71. I think that was broken this year uh, by maybe Alex Smith. But, again, he's somebody who's not going to take a lot of chances, who's going to excel in that short to intermediate passing game. But I don't expect him – if they if they think he's going to come in and not only compete for the starting job but take that starting job and, and go 16 games and they project like in baseball you project an individual out over you know the course of a season based on let's say like 158 bats well if you take Bradford's last start last season and you times it by 16 you can't do that with him because he hasn't played 16 games since 2012 he's had multiple torn ACLs he's completely immobile uh, and Granted, he's only 30 years old, but at this point, he is best served to be a backup. He's best served to be the kind of mentor quarterback that you would include uh, with a rookie. And that's why the signing doesn't bother me, assuming that the front office has the right state of mind and the expectations when it comes to Bradford. What I don't like is when I see, you know, videos on the Cardinal website, like, you know, Michael Bidwell talking to Bradford over the phone and referencing people like like Palmer and Warner and reclamation projects in Arizona. Bradford has never put up a season in which he's thrown more than 21 touchdowns. Carson Palmer had put up Pro Bowl seasons before, and granted, he was not the most mobile individual when he came to the desert, but he's shown that ability to stay healthy and put together quality seasons, and we had seen Warner put up MVP and Super Bowl seasons. Bradford has never come close to that. Uh, I don't think that he's going to have some kind of outlier year in 2018 where he's going to set the world on fire. Again, perfect bridge guy, perfect guy to start a couple of games. And then, you know, if, if the cards fall like they should with Bradford and his health injury, perfect time to transition maybe midseason to a rookie. Uh, as far as Mike Glennon goes, he, again, he was the hot free agent a year ago, the complete unknown, uh, the much more high-profile, you know, A.J. McCarron, if you will, of last offseason, the Bears overpaid him, you know, $15 million over two seasons, something to that effect, or an average of $15 million. And he was, you know, a complete dumpster fire. Granted, they had, you know, no wide receivers uh, to speak of, and he was kind of behind the eight ball, especially when they traded up for Trubisky. But, um, you know, I think that, you know, he came from Steve Kimes' alma mater, NC State, that can't hurt. He's accurate when he has the opportunity to throw. But, again, like you mentioned, Blake, he's completely immobile. And it's funny. I've heard Steve Kime talk about how mobility is important in today's NFL, and yet we now house two of the most immobile quarterbacks in the league, which makes me believe that, you know, we're not in the Lamar Jackson, you know, sweepstakes. Mike McCoy has a very specific mindset of what he wants from his quarterbacks, and we'll get into these quarterbacks coming up. Uh, but you heard Benjamin Albright say that the Cardinals have Josh Allen as their top quarterback on the board, and you look at these free agent signings, and um, you know the, the dots you know begin to connect for for a lot of us. So um, I don't think that the, that the Cardinals deserve a lot of the blowback they're getting on Bradford. I think his, his his deal is built on incentives, but I also don't understand why the Cardinals choose to die on the hill of defending Sam Bradford. I think that's kind of out of ignorance. I think that. Let's just wait and see how this plays out. But if you look at his history, it's complete fool's gold to believe that he's going to be, you know, a successful quarterback this year. Yeah, Seth, if you want to go on and kind of touch base on that. And then John brought up an interesting point I wanted to add on for you. What should Cardinals fans be expecting this year as well? Well, when you look at the quarterback situation, the Cardinals are basically saying, look, we're going to try to get to to remain – where we're at, which is average. I mean, seven, eight, and one, eight, and eight, really just average seasons. 
And you look at Sam Bradford over his career, he's an average quarterback. Uh, Johnny stated, you know, he, he's got – he had that one season where he set the NFL record for completion percentage. Drew Brees broke that this year. Um, but when you look at it from a perspective of, you know, 21 touchdowns, that's that's really average in the NFL now. Never thrown for 4,000 yards. That's that's average. Um his career record, if you take out a one and nine dumpster fire season in his second year with the St. Louis Rams, he's basically, I think it's like 36 and 37. He's average. So everything about Bradford is average, remaining average, staying average, keeping yourself relevant. And, and I've talked about this with Jess before. That's a key factor in today's, uh, Arizona sports kind of landscape because the entertainment dollar for the fans is, I mean, the Diamondbacks are five and one right now. Um, The Suns are possibly potentially likely to have the first pick in the draft. And so when you look at that, you can't go into September with Mike Glennon as your quarterback and then sell that to the, to the fan base. What you can't do is go in with Bradford and say, look, we're going to be good. He's, He's a competent quarterback that's, you know, led his team to average seasons, you know, or been competitive, had his teams near the playoff a number of times. And I think that's what the goal is here. Um, I think John has it right. You know, if or when, and, and you hate to say when, but, you know, based on Bradford's history, that's the likelihood. But if if Bradford was to end up injured again, then all of a sudden you you've put yourself in a perfect position to transition to a rookie quarterback. Whereas, you know, if you don't draft a rookie and you, God forbid, after three games, you're without Bradford for eight or nine games, you go to Mike Lennon, you're, you're with a guy that has put up okay numbers, but he's like the, he's like complete opposite of Drew Stanton. His numbers look way better, but his record is complete garbage. I mean, I tweeted this when they signed Mike Glennon. The signing of Mike Glennon basically guarantees that the Arizona Cardinals are going to draft a quarterback because everywhere Mike Glennon goes, somebody drafts a quarterback to replace him. Like, you don't want Mike Glennon to be your quarterback, and that's just the reality. And so when you look at it from those that, that perspective, the Cardinals have put themselves in a really nice position to where they can bring on, bring on a rookie quarterback and if Bradford were to go down in game five or six, you can go to Glennon for two or three games. And then all of a sudden, guess what? You're going to go to the rookie because you'll have lost those two games or three games. And, and then you can say, hey, it's time to go to the rookie. And then all of this makes sense. All of this works out. Where this doesn't work out is if you don't draft a rookie quarterback. And so they kind of put themselves in a weird position where if they don't draft a rookie quarterback, they're setting themselves up to disappoint fans and put themselves in a position where fans are going to start to get maybe disenchanted a little bit. Um, Because that's the thing. The Cardinals have refocused what fans' expectations are, and the expectations are to compete for the playoffs every year. And so when you look back at the last two years, despite the average record, the Cardinals were – until like week 15 of the season still in the playoff hunt. They were still in contention. And and you can't go back to being eliminated in week nine anymore. But 
with the way that the NFC West turning over and the, and the NFC in general is so good. Um, it, if you're relying on Sam Bradford and Mike Glennon, you might be towards the bottom much sooner than you wanted to be. Yeah, so I, I guess that you could also even argue if you're going to say about well, Sam Bradford's likeliness of getting hurt um, with the addition of Ndamukong Sue to Aaron Donald in the division playing twice a year. I don't know if the pattern of the Cardinals losing is starting quarterback to injury in a game against the Rams will continue, but the uh, odds do seem to favor it. Um, I totally agree with you on those points, Seth. The fact that they didn't, that they obviously tried to woo Kirk Cousins here, I think that's safe move because then at least it gives you that guy who you're locked into him for the next few years if you can land him didn't land him and as a result they're kind of trying to do the next best thing which is not commit to a long-term quarterback as far as for a free agent but try to take a rookie get a starter who can at least kind of handle the load as best as they can um, up until the point get a veteran back up in this they don't have to play him and this is kind of what you think they might have been able to do last year would have was kind of what most Cardinals fans are hoping for but the team in Arians wanted to kind of have one last season to win and to, um, to be able to try to compete. I think it'll be interesting uh, as far as if the Cardinals don't draft a quarterback this year, you kind of have to wonder if they're gonna, it's going to turn to one of those seasons because it, it's very reminiscent, I think, to fans right now of that 2010 change where you saw a lot of uh, – I think John has been the one who's been making this comparison most of all. I had thought about more of a, a 2012 or 2013 comparison, but he said that 2010 is perfect because you got your quarterback retired, you're bringing in kind of a veteran who, you know, is not really that great. You're kind of in the spot where you're looking for a quarterback and competing. And the Cardinals just did – they didn't draft a quarterback there. They went out and traded for a guy in Kevin Cobb, and things went downhill from there. And I think that there's a possibility that that could happen this season, too. If Bradford goes down gets hurt, or God forbid if Glennon should get hurt and after this time, then if you don't have any a rookie quarterback on the roster or if you're looking at a guy who was drafted on day three who's just not ready – you're kind of in a spot of being in that position where you're going to be having a top five pick next year in a year that some are projecting as being a poor quarterback class. And well, you know, unless the uh, NC state kid and Steve kind of wants to have an all NC state quarterback room with Ryan Finley. But uh, I think that's a little too conspiracy theory there. I think that you totally agree that this is a team that I think it will have to take a quarterback in the first two rounds because they don't really have a choice at this point. The, rest of the NFC West is loaded up with Jimmy Garoppolo, Russell Wilson, still effective every year. And Jared Goff and the Rams have gone all in while they recognize the importance of the rookie quarterback deal. Uh, and Kime, I think, understands and knows that as well. I think the biggest question is just the value and the price for him because I don't see him as being a guy who's going to be, you know, trading first, two first, two seconds, and a third to try to move up to number two for a Josh Rosen or a Josh Allen. Let's transition into talking a little bit about some of these quarterbacks. Um, John, you and I have kind of gone off of this for about the last seven months. Once we kind of recognized that the Cardinals weren't going to take a quarterback high in the 2017 draft, um, we've kind of been going on with a lot of these um, quarterbacks. What are you kind of standing at least before you see? Because a lot of Cardinals fans I know are either seem to be kind of in a state of panic, I would say. Um, I don't think that they're looking for the nearest bridge yet, but if it gets to day three and the Cardinals haven't drafted a quarterback yet, I, I think I'd be probably near Tempe Town Lake Bridge just, you know, trying to push people back away. Some of that may be perception. Maybe the draft is different. But, John, can, can you give kind of some insight into where are we at currently with the Cardinals and some of these top quarterbacks? Is this kind of the draft where the Cardinals are going to have to make a move? Is there a guy that's going to take them? Is there a quarterback that's worth taking this draft? Let's talk a little bit about these quarterbacks, kind of starting with the top four guys. 
Yeah, you, you mentioned panic mode. I, I'm panicking. I mean, you look at the combination of the quarterbacks that are available in this draft, the caliber of the quarterback, and the teams that need quarterbacks, uh, not only ahead of the Cardinals, but teams like suddenly New England behind the Cardinals that are in striking distance. It will be, I believe, a career-defining draft for Steve Kime. Um should he not come out of this draft with a franchise quarterback or at least a quarterback prospect. Um, and to be considered that, um, you know, I don't want to hear about that comparisons in the fourth round or Russell Wilson in the third round. You, statistics say you have to take a quarterback within the top 50 picks. So he either has to take a quarterback at 15, trade up into the top 10, trade back into the first, get that fifth year option or take a quarterback early on day two. I was shocked stunned last year when they opted not to take a quarterback when they let two teams go ahead and jump them for quarterbacks and then the fact that they traded up in the second round I think most of us were convinced that was for Deshaun Kaiser ended up being Buda Baker a good choice but again to completely punt on a quarterback a year ago now you're in a position in 2018 where the division has completely flipped you're the only team in the NFC that conceivably doesn't have the guy at quarterback there's tier rankings for quarterbacks in this league and you are in the bottom third, if not, you know, the bottom percentile for, um, you know, quarterback hierarchy. Now you're in a position where your, your borderline elite head coach, your great head coach from a year ago, got you to eight wins somehow. And it, you know, puts you in a position where you're picking 15th overall in a quarterback rich draft, but there's potentially five or six teams ahead of you that need a quarterback. In my opinion, I think they will have to trade up for one of these quarterbacks if they want to exit the first two days with one. Um, I do not believe they can sit back at 15 and get one of the top prospects. And I put them in tiers, Darnold and Rosen, I put in tier one. I think they're blue chip prospects. I think either would be the first pick in the draft, depending on who is selecting. I think they're going to go one, two to Cleveland and New York. Uh, And then there's tier two, with the likes of Baker Mayfield, Josh Allen, and Lamar Jackson, and then Tier 3 with, with Mason Rudolph and, and a, maybe a Luke Falk. Um, and I know a lot of individuals are saying, well, Lamar Jackson is not going to go before 15. I, I think with Buffalo potentially being shut out of the top four quarterbacks and the Miami Dolphins sitting there, I do not believe you could afford to sit at 15 even though I don't think the Cardinals like Lamar Jackson and assume that he'll be there. And then everybody that's telling me, well, you can trade back into the first round and get Mason Rudolph. That's a long, long time to wait and to trade back into the late 20s to assume he's going to be there. I, those are the six that I believe, uh, Allen, Darnold, Rosen, Mayfield, Lamar Jackson, and, and Rudolph, Mason Rudolph, that you could own. Those six are the only six that I think you could convince your fan base that this is potentially the guy for the next 10 years to lead this franchise. If they do not come out of this draft with one of those six individuals, I think it would be a failure. I don't buy the kid Loretta from Richmond. I think his, he does not have an NFL arm. Uh, and then Luke Falk did not look good at the combine. He floated a lot of balls. I mean, his pro day was just okay. I, he's the only one. Maybe you can include him. Maybe. I think he'd be a better fit in, say, New England now that they have a plethora of, you know, first and second day picks. But, again, the Cardinals, to me, have to be active on draft day. And, really, if you want to ensure yourself a position where you get one of these guys, Blake, you mentioned this. I thought it was a great point. We, we spoke earlier. 
I think you have to trade up now. I think that if you wait until draft day, you are one of the least attractive teams in terms of draft capital, and you know everybody is going to be working those phones to get up into the top four, depending on you know how certain situations fall. We know the New York Giants, if they take a Bradley Chubb, that's Cleveland's target at four. They're going to be looking to move down. If Denver doesn't like what they see at pick five, they could be looking to move down. Indy could move down again. So you don't have a package to offer like Buffalo. You don't have a high as high a pick as Miami. So I think you need to trade up now three weeks before the draft to ensure you get one of your top guys. Otherwise, I just don't see it happening for them. Yeah, I think that's the, the big question I think a lot of fans have is the uh, if the Cardinals are going to get a quarterback this year and most people are projecting four quarterbacks to go in the top five picks and you're picking at 15, like, what are the fans going to be able to make of a lot of that? Because it just, you kind of feel like you're stuck. Um, so Seth, that kind of leads us to an interesting point. Like I, I personally believe that, that there is not a way that they would have four quarterbacks go in the top five picks uh, for the most part. I've always kind of felt that one of the quarterbacks, whether it was Rosen or Mayfield would be passed on by the Broncos. They did sign Keenum. They can get another quarterback at least later and get a player like a Roquan or a Quentin Nelson. But with the New England Patriots kind of storming in with a shocking move to add another first-round pick, uh, apparently lots of smoke that's being blown about them, that they're going to be in a market for a quarterback this year in the first or the second round. That leads us kind of to the question, if all these other teams have all these assets and the Cardinals need a quarterback, is there a quarterback this year that's worth trading up for with the Cardinals? Because the cost is going to be definitely exorbitant, but is there a quarterback who's worth trading up for then becomes the question. I think the the quarterback that's worth trading up for would be Josh Rosen. Um, you know, I I think Lamar Jackson is the best quarterback in this class, but that's a different you know conversation for a different day. But if you're going to trade up for one, the guy that I I trade up for is Rosen. Um, you know, I've compared him like a, a, at a high end um, comp to to like a Matt Ryan, and and Matt Ryan and a you know Matt, Mike McCoy. Um, offense would probably do a nice job similar to what uh, you know obviously not at the at the level of Peyton Manning or Philip Rivers but just a just a notch below that where they're putting up you know big numbers because they're they are smart quarterbacks who understand how to get through their reads and, and make and make plays down the field uh <clears throat> so if if you're going to trade up for one I think Rosen would be the guy uh you know, with with the Bills, the Dolphins, and then obviously the 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 Patriots. Now you have to be concerned about all those teams allegedly being in love with Josh Rosen, and then you know if he were to fall out of the top five, Indy would be you know more than happy to oblige somebody in in taking multiple first round picks for for. Josh Rosen, the right to, or the right to draft Josh Rosen. So that that's gonna be a that's gonna be an interesting thing. But that's the problem is is if you're gonna trade up, you have to trade up to two. I mean, you can't make a move up to four um, because you you can't guarantee that the Jets won't take uh, Rosen at three. And so if you're gonna move up, it has to be with the New York Giants at two. And and I just don't know if you can you can pay that price, um, you know, because it, th- this team is definitely closer to the 
the the Rams when they traded up for Goff than they are uh, the the Eagles when they traded up for Carson Wentz. So when you look at it from that perspective, that that's what you have to look at is, uh, are you willing to know that you're going to be really bad next year and you're going to be giving up probably a, a top seven pick if you punt on, you know, your first round pick, two second round picks, and probably two third round picks. Yeah, and I mean, we, we've seen at least what happened with the Rams and the Eagles making those trade sacrifices. However, they made the playoffs the next year. With the amount of cap space the Cardinals have, and you know, some of that will be given out to extensions and players and some free agents, but it does feel like that this is more of a season where, the, as I've kind of told fans, expectations should be more for 2019 than 2018, uh, even if you don't have a lot of draft picks. If the Cardinals decided to focus in, to take a quarterback and make the trade up, I would probably applaud them for it because it would be a bold move, but it would also be a move with the future in mind. Uh, I would recognize at least that they would have to be, of course, bypassing some of these other teams. And that's going to be what I think is difficult is because whatever these other teams are offering, uh, I think that they'll be able to offer more than the Cardinals will. That's just kind of plain and simple. The Cardinals do not have a lot of tradable assets where they could trade like a Brandon Cooks and get a first round pick that you're not going to be able to trade a Patrick Peterson. You're not going to be able to trade a Chandler Jones. And if you are, you're going to be spending your whole time trying to replace those players just because you had a, all pro kind of franchise cornerstone player and you, you let them gave them away just to try to get a quarterback. And if the quarterback then fails then all of a sudden it looks like it's the Kevin Cobb deal all over again. Uh, let's talk actually a little bit about Lamar Jackson, because I, I do think that when you're talking about him being the best quarterback in the draft, it is really interesting. I've been working through some kind of quarterback stats, just taking a look at games against the toughest competition that a quarterback's going to play to try to measure how guys perform when they're against the toughest opponents. And it's really fascinating is when I kind of you break it down onto an individual game basis, all of the quarterbacks between uh, Mayfield, between uh, Josh, uh, between Josh Rosen and Sam Darnold aren't that far off. And as far as for what they're going to bring in the different games, all of them kind of averaged about North of 300 yards. All of them averaged probably North of, um, two touchdowns and about a little bit over one interception or so. What's really interesting is Rosen kind of on average, his team would lose. I think part of this is you can take a look at this because when I looked and entered in with some of these metrics, I was looking at last year, I thought, well, okay, in that case, they're a losing quarterback. And then I looked at with Patrick Mahomes and I realized that when you're, you know, having to throw six touchdowns and Kalen Balaj is scoring seven, there has to be a certain level that you have of your team. Like we've even seen this with Matt Ryan, when he has, a good offensive line, he's performed at an MVP level when he's had a poor offensive line. He and Carson Palmer have been the same way. They just struggle, get hurt, or have interceptions thrown. Uh, with Lamar Jackson, it's interesting because he does not fit the typical mold that you would have for a quarterback. He's probably the most athletic quarterback that we've seen in a draft since RG3, at least for sure, uh, since Russell Wilson. Um, and he's a guy who does not have the highest completion percentage. He has a lot of design runs. And he's this explosive playmaker who lit up all the different teams around him. Uh, let's talk a little bit about Lamar Jackson, because I think of the Cardinals, if you're not going to be able to get one of the top four guys, it seems like he's almost consensus the fifth guy after his pro day is just because teams seem to be recognizing the fact that Mason Rudolph is a little bit limited on that. Is Lamar Jackson a guy that the Cardinals should consider? Is this a guy where we're going to say it makes sense with Steve Wilkes looking at Cam Newton, bringing in a Mike McCoy who has the flexible offense? Or, and then having a Byron Leftwich retained on staff to be able to work on the mechanics. 
Or is this going to be a case where Arizona may try to not have him valued as the top 15 player? Maybe they either trade back and have him on the board, don't take him. Is this going to be kind of a player where the Cardinals are going to look at as boomer bust? Or is this a guy who's a potential franchise option who just needs refinement and a game tailor-round? Because that's, I think, the whole conversation. John, what do you think about Lamar? Is this a guy who's more of like a uh, more of a Colin Kaepernick quarterback, right? You're starting to enter. Or is this a guy who's going to kind of take that next step maybe and become a Russell Wilson level and you can look back on them and say, man, I wish that we'd taken that quarterback instead of one of the top four. I think he is a franchise quarterback. I think that, again, the team that chooses to draft him needs to – I know this is kind of cliche and funny to say – taking a quarterback in the first round, but they have to believe in him. He has a, a lively <laughs> arm. He can he can spin the ball with the best of them, uh, and he should not be just viewed as a running quarterback. Now, he did the, the one read offense, the dreaded one read offense with Bobby Petrino, and, you know, none of those quarterbacks that have come out of that system have succeeded at the NFL level. Uh, Brian Malibu, but again, they were not even a third of as talented as Lamar Johnson is. Uh, he throws very, very nice NFL deep ball. Uh, he is phenomenal in the red zone, something that the Cardinals desperately missed, especially last year with David Johnson. He's a touchdown machine. Uh, and his ability to, again, make plays out of the pocket, I think is where the NFL is going. You saw that with Deshaun Watson, who transitioned seamlessly. He's got incredible pocket poise. I think his pre-snap reads have improved, you know, every year. And so it gets to the point where you're, you're seeing a completion percentage that's sub-60, but you're seeing those improvements, um, and you can see those jumps and the, the, the fact that he wanted to become a better pocket passer this year and not thought of it as a gadget player, as a runner first, like maybe he was during his Heisman campaign. He's just an offensive juggernaut. He's somebody that the Cardinals would be lucky to have. I think it would play very well in Arizona. Listen, you get to play in a dome. You're playing on the West Coast. You're not playing in the AFC East where you have to play outdoors, you know, you know, eight times a year, if not more. Uh, I think it would be a, a tremendous opportunity and really kind of the ideal fit. But, again, we t- we've talked about Mike McCoy, and it's almost like we could talk out of both sides of our mouth with, with the fact that, you know, he's worked with – non-conventional quarterbacks before like a Tim Tebow then he's also had incredible success with obviously future franchise Hall of Fame quarterbacks and Peyton Manning or Peyton Manning and Philip Rivers and so I think that it's a bad rap to, to, to stick him with that label that he only likes a specific type of guy but at the end of the day you should just grade out whomever you think is going to be the best player no matter scheme take that player and then fit your scheme around that individual and so I get that Mason Rudolph is six five, six six, looks like the prototypical NFL quarterback that you'd want. And I'm not saying he's not going to be a good pro, but Lamar Jackson's ability to make plays in, in today's NFL that is so, you know, reliant on quarterback play and the fact that they are protecting quarterbacks better than ever. I think that the the lack of the lack of girth, the lack of, you know, thickness in his lower body is the only thing that concerns me. You know, he was listed this year at like something ridiculous at like six three two oh five. And so the RG three comparisons are semi, you know, justified. If you're able to get him into your strength and conditioning program and let him sit because he does need some refinement in specific areas, 
and let him sit, you know, half a season, if not three-fourths of the way, or the entire season a la Patrick Mahomes, you're going to be ready to unleash him in 2019. And, frankly, I'd be happy with Colin Kaepernick's production if you continue to build on that. Uh, and I think, uh, obviously, the only reason Kaepernick's not signed is the off-the-field stuff. So, uh, again, he, he would be a perfect fit. I would trade up for him. I'd have no problem giving up picks to get him. But I think he's undervalued at this point. I think his mother is doing him a disservice acting like his agent or, or performing as his agent. Uh, the fact that certain teams can't get a hold of him I think is a bad look, and it's unfortunate because I think he's getting some bad advice because, again, agents may take whatever, 10 15%, but they also allow you to, to, to have an advantage when, when making a move up into you know the, the higher end of the draft and, and negotiating that agreement and trying to get the most out of that. So um, we saw Richard Sherman attempt to negotiate his deal on that. Uh, this off season that completely blew up in his face. So I'm not sure what the plan is on that regard. And I, I just hope it wouldn't scare the Cardinals away. Hey, sports fans, football season's here, and it's time to get in on the action with MyBookie. MyBookie is the industry-leading sports betting website that offers real Vegas odds on football, baseball, and all your favorite sporting events. You can take a side, the total, or even fantasy points props. MyBookie lets you bet online and win big. Did the game already kick off? Don't sweat it. MyBookie has in-game live betting on every major league and event even esports. There's no better time to join MyBookie than today. Go to MyBookie to open an account and start winning. Use promo code CHAMPION when you register for your account and get a 100% sign-up bonus up to $1,000 on your first deposit. Bet today. Visit MyBookie's website or call 844-866-2387. That's 844-866-2387. Check them out today and use promo code CHAMPION for a 100% bonus. Terms and conditions apply for entertainment purposes only. Void where prohibited. Yeah, I like what you said earlier about Lamar improving every single year as a passer, um, not just the completion percentage, but also the reads and the accuracy, I think, was huge to see. Um, that's one of the biggest things I look for in scouting. It's also something that was absent from Josh Allen from his production performance. He improved by less than 1% as far as his completion percentage. was pretty much the same player this year as last year. Well, Seth, uh, you originally just called Lamar Jackson the best quarterback in the draft. Um, John said he'd like to trade up for him. I'm really curious to hear your thoughts now because it's going to be hard to kind of oversell it from that, I suppose, in that sense. Well, and and John kind of hit my comparison of uh, of Lamar Jackson, and I've said that I look at him as a Colin Kaepernick type of quarterback. Um, you know, pro football focus that, that only, uh, you know, out of his – obscene amount of rushing yards, which I think was over 1,500 this year, only something like 23 or 27% were on scrambles. So usually when Lamar Jackson's running, it's on design runs. And then if he is scrambling, it's usually to reset himself and throw. Uh, my buddy Kyle Posey did a great breakdown at, at Bolts from the Blue, the the, San, or the Los Angeles Chargers the Nation site, and he kind of looked at this, and he, and he talked about how that is one of the flaws of Jackson. Is Sometimes he, he confines himself to stop using his athleticism and instead try to make, you know, quote-unquote prototype quarterback plays. And so when you look at all of that, when you're talking about 
a guy that can come in and be similar to what Kaepernick was, I think you, I think that that's a win right away. Like I said, if your standard of quarterback play is, is Matt Ryan, then Josh Allen's going to, or Josh Rosen's going to be your guy. If your, you know, standard of quarterback play is, is more like a Blake Bortles hoping that, uh, Sam Darnold turns into Ben Roethlisberger, then Sam Darnold's your guy. If you are open to a different type of quarterback play that's highly effective, um, but it's it's unconventional, then that's why I think Lamar Jackson's your guy. Um, you know, obviously when you look at when you look at Kaepernick's career, uh, when he had a when he had an offensive coordinator similar to. To Mike McCoy in, in or an offensive mind similar to Mike McCoy and John Harbaugh, I think you can see that uh, he was, you know, a very effective player in, in a run-heavy offense that used his mobility and then his arm to do different things. And I, and I think using Lamar Jackson in a similar way would be a win. And I just don't know if the Cardinals or, or Steve Kime are, um, you know. Are, are fearless enough to take that risk because they've been very risk adverse at the quarterback position and, and investment adverse in, in terms of, you know, giving up that extra first round pick to move up the spot to draft, um, you know, Patrick Mahomes last year, the, you know, they, they did not want to give up the 2018 first round pick. And so that's why they're sitting there and are. So would they be, you know, a wild card like Lamar Jackson um, in the NFL's eyes, would they be willing to do that? I just don't see it. I think, I think if anything, if they do take a quarterback in the first round, it's going to be a guy like Mason Rudolph, who is, you know, kind of a, kind of a, 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 Andy Dalton type of quarterback where you know what you're getting. Um, you know, it's, it's not a high variance guy. Um, and, and he's a guy that, that fits into what NFL teams look for in a quarterback. Yeah. It's interesting that you're mentioning Mason Rudolph, because I was just about to kind of introduce with the speaking of playing it safe. Let's talk about Mason Rudolph. The biggest thing that we have with Rudolph is he's a guy who, does well on third down. He converts the plays, uses his athleticism enough, gets the ball into a good spot with his wide receiver. It's just as interesting because all of this talk about with the late first round or the Cardinals potentially looking to trade back and then be able to pick up some extra picks to be able to kind of flesh out their team, take Mason Rudolph to learn, develop him. He does seem to fit the Mike McCoy uh, mold as far as if you look at the guys drafted, like the Paxton Lynches of the world. Uh, it's just interesting because for all intents and purposes, he seems like he's a guy who you would take in round three versus a guy that you would take in round one. So whether it was just the need has been pushed up or just more of the, uh, the knowledge of not getting the top four quarterbacks and not wanting to have to wait till later rounds, it's just going to be interesting to see with Rudolph because I think that there's some advantages to him. Uh, but the interesting thing I heard that someone had compared him to today was they compared Mason Rudolph to being like Carson Palmer except it wasn't Carson Palmer when he was coming out. It was more of the second revival with the Cardinals, Carson Palmer, in which case that was really interesting because you already have kind of a second Carson Palmer and Sam Bradford, who is, although Bradford's going to be having veteran days off at eight years younger now, apparently, but it's kind of seems like the Cardinals are almost, this is the move that we were kind of predicting and saying it will happen because ultimately if Steve Kine is going to be a conservative and kind of risk adverse guy, and Mason Rudolph is kind of the best bet for it. He's a guy who's not going to go out there and be able to, you know, perhaps perform and win you a game like an elite quarterback would, but he's not going to be a guy who's going to go out there and throw four interceptions at least. That's going to be more of like a Josh Allen um, as far as for 
being able to kind of throw and lose a game for a team. So it's going to be interesting. I think I tend to lean toward the fact that um, the Cardinals seem to be more looking to move down versus up, seems to tell me that if they were truly interested in Lamar Jackson, either they're concealing it very well, uh, or they're going to be looking at potentially just that this has kind of been the plan all along his bed. We've already identified we like Mason Rudolph. We think he might need some time, and then they want to trade back. If they can get him in the second round, they probably would. Uh, but more likely, they'll just try to end up seeing if they could take him. But it's going to be interesting to see at least come draft day, just because the uh, whole quarterbacks and how it falls out is going to be interesting to watch if we end up really seeing, you know, five quarterbacks go in the first round or if we're having a guy who's, you know, still sitting in the green room on day two. Uh, last thing, at least just on the quarterbacks before we move on, is if the Cardinals, let's say that maybe they try to make a move, Jackson ends up going with a team trading up to them at maybe 14 with the Packers. Uh, Mason Rudolph ends up going, say, to the Broncos pass on a quarterback. Uh, let's say that the Cardinals end up not getting one of these top six quarterbacks. Uh, with the next year, as far as Kyle Loletta, uh, even a guy like a Mike White, I know some of talked about because he at least has the requisite arm strength for an NFL starter. What are some of the thoughts at least you have Seth on them or some other kind of late small school gems outside of the one name I think we've heard connected, which is Logan Woodside. Um, What are your thoughts, at least if the Cardinals are worst case scenario, not able to get a quarterback in the first or the second round, where do you see them going? Well, I would just say at this point, it would behoove them to punt on the position altogether this year. Um, I don't think a guy like Mike White, uh, kind of a Zach Mettenberger type of player, I don't think a guy like a a Luke Falk, who they allegedly do not like, uh, according to Mike Jarecki, I don't think those guys would. uh, um, I don't think those guys would fit with what they're trying to build. And so, you know, overall, I think that if you're not gonna, if you're not gonna pull the trigger on at worst, maybe a, a Kyle Laletta at 47, then then I think it, it does make sense to kind of punt this year and, and figure out uh, what you're going to do. Maybe, maybe you do really struggle in, in 2018. It's, you know, God forbid anything happened to Sam Bradford and you rely on Mike Lennon. So, you know, all of that kind of, all of that kind of plays to the idea that, you know, I, I, I wrote an article and it's going to, it's going to, publish either tomorrow or Friday, so Thursday or Friday. And and when you look back at kind of the history of the NFL and six quarterbacks going in in the on the first two days, the hit rate's like well is is basically thirty percent. Like it, it's very unlikely that more than two of those guys are going to be um good NFL starters. And so if if you're forcing it um after you know even after Lamar Jackson with Mason Rudolph, uh, it's going to be unlikely that, you know, all these guys are going to be good. So there are going to be busts. Uh, so are, are you really willing to pay the price at, at 15 for Mason Rudolph or at 47 for a Kyle Lallotta, knowing that um, the, the chances of those guys actually being good are basically none. Um, and, and that's not to say that the first four quarterbacks will be good. It's just that usually only two of, of the six or seven that are drafted in the first, on the first two days of the draft uh, turn out to be uh, you know, solid NFL quarterbacks. Definitely agree with you there, Seth. And uh, we'll call it a wrap here for this episode. Uh, Seth, thank you again so much for joining us. Um, it's awesome to be able to hear your um, 
your insight on the Cardinals, at least. And especially since I know we can focus a lot on the quarterback position, being able to hear some of the other possibilities at the other positions, if the Cardinals end up focusing on that second round, maybe moving up late first for Rudolph was kind of, I think we're, at that, I think I would lean to thinking that the Cardinals would be having that in mind, first of all. Um, hopefully, they do end up taking the rolling the dice on Jackson. I think that would fire up the fan base. Um, but, yeah, um, Seth, if you can go ahead and let everyone know where they can find you and locate your article, such as the one going up tomorrow. Get you a little free plug right here. As oh, well yeah. Where they can find Everything you on Twitter. John and his podcast are on the site. Uh, and, and they do a great job every week. So I appreciate all their work um, for the site as well. So, yeah, but everything I do is at Revenge of Birds. You can follow us on Twitter, at Revenge of Birds, um, and, and just, you know, kind of join the conversation that we we have, uh, you know, 24-7-365 on the Arizona Cardinals. Absolutely. And then don't forget, Seth also has his own podcast with the aforementioned Jess Root. I believe it's a new episode that just went up tonight. We're recording on a Wednesday. So be sure that you do check out the Be Red, See Red podcast. Uh, it's an incredible Cardinals content, uh, both outsider and insider opinion. Make sure that you do check out that podcast as well. Uh, we're just a bunch of Cardinals fans who are passionate and um, glad that you guys are listening here. Our thoughts. John, where can the uh, listeners find you? Like always, Blake, I am at johnny's football on twitter give me a follow follow also the bird game blitz on twitter and and catch us hopefully we're going to do like at least one more show before the draft in three weeks um to kind of predict our final thoughts Yep, that we will. I believe we have um, what we talked about was having a uh, kind of a mock draft that we'd be going kind of a here's what we think that's going to happen and here's what I would do. Just kind of rotating picks uh, should be a lot of fun at least to be able to see we're almost at draft season. And again, you can find me on Twitter at BlakeMurphy7 as Seth mentioned also on Revenge of the Birds. Um, Finally, I've been busy but finally getting my quarterback um, statistics breakdown and rankings will be up at least before the draft over the next few weeks so stay tuned for that. Thank you again for listening. We always appreciate it here. Um, Come check us out next time. Uh, The NFL draft is almost here, and we're ready for it on the Bird Gang Blitz. I'm Jay Farner, CEO of Quicken Loans, America's premier home purchase lender. We've created a new way to protect you from unpredictable interest rates. Our exclusive Rate Shield approval. First, we lock your interest rate for up to 90 days. Then, if rates go up, your rate stays locked. But if rates go down, your rate drops. Either way, you win. Call us today at 800-QUICKEN or go to rocketmortgage.com. Racial approval only valid on certain 30-year fixed rate loans. Call for cost information and conditions. Equal housing lender. License in all 50 states. NMLS number 3030. Additional conditions or exclusions may apply. Hello, I'm Ashley Carmen. I'm Caitlin Tiffany. We're the hosts of Why'd You Push That Button? The Verge's show about all the choices technology forces us to make. We're back for season three, talking about questions like, why do you delete your tweets? And why do you type in lowercase letters that make you seem like a serial killer? And why are you on an exclusive dating app? You're not that special. <laughs> We're releasing a new episode every Wednesday, and you can find this anywhere you typically find podcasts, which is Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Pocket Casts. So go ahead and subscribe and check us out.